Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Talking Points podcast. This podcast is me talking to people from sports, entertainment, or people I just find overall interesting. We'll go through their career, their story, how they got to where they were, and some other fun questions along the way. My first guest on the Talking Points podcast is former NBA star Eddie Johnson. Eddie was the 1989 winner of the NBA Sixth Man of the Year Award. Eddie could score from anywhere on the court and averaged 21.5 points a game that season he won the NBA Sixth Man of the Year Award. You've likely seen highlights of Eddie Johnson sinking a game winner in the conference finals against the Utah Jazz, or you may have seen when he scored 43 points and a half in just 6 minutes and 57 seconds of play. In our conversation, we talked about how growing up in Chicago helped develop his game. He told an incredible story about his time on Team USA with Magic Johnson before their college careers, as well as how good it felt for his University of Illinois team to take down the Michigan State Spartans, which featured guard Magic Johnson. I loved Eddie's story about playing overseas in Greece and how the people there treated him like he was Michael Jordan. I really loved this interview, and I think you will too. Stay tuned after a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, sorry about that. Hey, no, no problem at all, Eddie. I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me at all. My, my dad is—he uh, grew up in the Phoenix area with a ball boy for the Suns, and so um, I've heard lots of stories about Suns basketball, and, and you were a big part of of these childhood stories that helped me fall in love with the game through through kind of my dad's experiences and in route to getting my own. And so, so I appreciate you taking the time. How are you? How has kind of this break with with the coronavirus been for you? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, you know, just you know, I'm a, I'm a loner anyway, so I'm at home a lot when I'm not traveling. So, yeah, just giving a chance for family to catch up with each other and you know, just enjoy ourselves with this alone time. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's well, good to be safe. <laughs> I agree with you there. Yeah, safe and and all, all is well. I first wanted to talk to you about uh, coming from Chicago and growing up in Chicago and, and how do you think that growing up there and kind of your tough city, making it out of a tough neighborhood has contributed to, to all of your successes in, in many areas of life? Well, I mean, I think it, it, it made me focus. Uh, I think, you know, as a young man growing up in the inner city, uh, you have to have extreme focus at all times and you have to be proactive. If you don't, you let your guard down, you could pretty much walk into a tough situation. Uh, and it's unfortunate. And it's happened to, you know, a lot of friends of mine growing up. Uh, and it continues to happen right now uh, in, the, in the city. So, you know, it just taught me to just to be conscious of where I am, uh, what I'm doing, conscious of my friends, uh, who's in, in regards to moving up the ladder, who's not separate from them, and keep my focus. I mean, so I apply that to everything that I do, uh, and it's worked. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And that focus is, is cool. And so so you talk about getting focused. I read a story about you, and you were on a run one day, and you encountered, you on your run, you encountered kind of um, what looked what was, uh, looked like a gathering of, of some, a gang of some sort, and they saw you, and at first you thought you were, um, about to have a fight or do something, and then you saw them say, "Oh no, don't worry about him." And a lot of it kind of was came from your focus, and they knew who you were from um, from high school and and be, just being a basketball star and the potential that you had. Um, were people able to recognize 
your focus there? Like when you set your focus, do people kind of recognize and respect it like they did in that story I read about? Yeah. I mean, I think in any environment, uh, you know, how it can be tragic, it can be an uncomfortable environment or what have you, uh, you're going to have still a respect level within that system, uh, which is weird, uh, uh. but it's not <laughs> different. I mean, that's how it's always been. I mean, you've had dictators around this world that actually thought that they were doing the right thing and people actually respected them, <laughs> okay, uh, in what they were doing which it, they didn't deserve respect, right? So totally. it should not have been applauded. And so, yeah, it's like that in the inner city. Uh, it's like you know, they, if, it, if somebody's doing dirt and they're not doing the right thing, a lot of times they will recognize the ones that are trying to do the right thing. And they'll cheer, they'll cheer for them. Uh, some will be envious and some might go the other direction. But for the most part, they kind of cheer for you. Uh, and they respect you, and they want you to make it. And for me, that particular day, uh, I was just out on a run. All I was doing was running, and I was nearing the end. And, you know, when you're tired, you got your head down. You're not really trying to look where you are <laughs> pretty much. You just got your head down wanting to hurry up and finish it. And I happened to turn a corner, and I really ran up on it, a gang meeting. And it had to be at least a thousand gang members out wow. there. And then when I looked around, it was police cars all around the area. So they probably looked at me like, what is this fool doing? You know, and because <laughs> I, I was oblivious to it. And uh-huh. and I ran up on it. And one thing you don't, you don't interrupt the gang meeting. Okay. So <laughs> they looked at me and I just identified a couple of guys in the crowd that I knew. And they said, man, he's cool, man. Just let him through. And and that was it. And I walked away from that feeling good, but also feeling bad. I'm like, so what if a guy ran up in, on, onto you all and he didn't know you, but he yeah. but he wasn't trying to start trouble? You, do you beat him up? So you just get kind of caught between that mindset, but that's just how it is. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And then you kind of have to experience it to to kind of have that. I love the perspective of, of seeing also the sad of it too. Um, yeah. I think that's really interesting that you pointed that out. Um, I read that your first love was baseball and you gave it up after growing, um, growing and fall like you grew a lot and you fell in love with basketball from there. Um, what was the decision like for you to give up uh, kind of your first love with, with baseball? Well, I've, I played every sport growing up uh, and we didn't have the playing fields. We didn't have the equipment. Uh, you know, living in the city, but we just, you know, we were creative. We did what we had to do. And so, you know, we didn't have ice, so, but we played street hockey. We'd go spend <laughs> our money and buy, buy, you know, hockey sticks, and we'd be out there playing street hockey. Uh, we played baseball. A lot of times we didn't have 18 players, right? So we'd make it work. I mean, that's what baseball does now anyway. I mean, they have four Four people in the infield now, right? They got four people <laughs> in the outfield. So we yeah. would just make it work. Uh, or we would just play strike them out, which is actually just pitching up against a wall with a batter's box right there, and and you play it that way. I mean, we wow. did everything that we could do to play every sport we wanted to play. Basketball, we'd be out there with a chain net, uh, you know, playing on a chain net, you know. <laughs> so 
that's that's what I did growing up. I got a dose of all the sports, uh, football too. So, and then slowly I gradually just started, you know, eliminating them. I mean, I eliminated uh, football when uh, I was playing on this team, and we used to always play tackle anyway, like you know, literally on concrete we would play tackle. Uh, but I was on this football team, and the the windshield factor was maybe about ten below zero. <laughs> And I was always the quarterback in the neighborhood. You know, when we played football, this particular coach put me on the offensive line. Oh. And I like, and I gave it a shot for the first few minutes. <laughs> and man, we was playing some country fed dudes, man, some suburbs, <laughs> man. They were beating the stew out of us, man. I quit at halftime. I walked out. <laughs> so that was the end of my football career. And. <laughs> Baseball, I just, you know, I got into high school and the team that I was on wasn't my high school baseball team wasn't that good. Went to Westinghouse High School and I just gave it up after my, I think it was my junior year. I, I gave it up. I was throwing no hitters, man, and losing. I, oh. I was like, you know, and, you know, and I was a third baseman, but I was the third baseman at six foot six. You know, so I mean, I was it was just not looking right for me, right? And and I was pitching, and and like I said, the the, the coach was pitching me almost every game. I mean, so oh, my shoulders started hurt. So it was like, you know what? I, I I think I'm gonna give baseball up, and so I did, and I just concentrated on hoops. So I mean, I, I tried to get a dose of everything. Wow, and and at one and at one point with with um, if there's anything I know about being the being the neighborhood quarterback, that that's usually like the best athlete of the group. And so being a being such a great athlete from for just so long in your life, at what point were you starting to to think like, okay, wow, like I could really make it in the league? Well, I, I think I started to. Well, I fell in love with with sports in general at a young age, uh, and I really fell in love with basketball. I would probably say after my first eighth grade practice. Uh, when my head coach, uh, Mr. Roof, uh, put me through my first practice and I literally said, I quit. I'm like, I can't. I went home like I'm not doing this. And I showed up the next day at school with the intention of not playing, not going to practice or anything. And I asked all the players and saying, you come, you come up to practice, come to the trials again, come to the trials again. I'm like, no, I'm done. And Coach Roof ran into me and he said, uh, you know, Eddie, are you coming up to practice? I said, I don't know. And he said, no, you need to go. And he grabbed me when I got up there and he said, look, I know everybody laughed at you yesterday because I was still growing. I was like six, three, six, four, but I was like, I didn't have any balance at all. I mean, I was clumsy. <laughs> and he said, look, he said, you have a future in this. He said, don't quit. Don't wow. quit. Do not quit. He said, I love the fact that even though you were dead tired, you kept running. That says a lot. And I showed up. And, you know, my first, my eighth grade year wasn't that great still. I mean, I wasn't the best player. My fifth best player on that team. I wasn't that good. And when I got to high school, I almost got cut. Uh, the only reason I think they didn't cut me is because my brother was a big-time basketball player at Austin High School in Chicago. His name was Michael Johnson. And and I think they kept me because they felt maybe if he stayed with it, he could turn out, you know, maybe to be a quarter as good as his brother. Wow. And they didn't cut me. They put me on the freshman team. And I played maybe 
15 games, and I was basically starting on varsity after 15 <laughs> games. That's how wow. fast. That's how fast I progressed as a basketball wow. player. And so, you know, that's when I fell in love with it. When I I knew that I could dominate people and I could do certain things on the court, then I'm like, okay. I, I, I think I have a chance at this. And it was all about getting a college scholarship anywhere. Wow. Wow. And so, yeah, that, you know, thank goodness you didn't quit because, and it's cool to hear that, that there was a moment where in time where you wanted to quit and then someone saw potential in you and, and, and told you that. And then you end up being named second team parade, high school, all American, first team, all state, but it's Chicago's 1977 basketball player of the year. Um, and then you even went on to play and represent, um, Team USA and then be on the same team as Magic Johnson. And what was that experience like? Unbelievable. Uh, we, you know, we had, I was an alternate for the McDonald's All Star Game, and so we were in Washington D.C. and got to practice against them every day. And we had great high school players on there: Bernard King, Wayne McCoy, Donnell wow. Valentine, Tommy Baker, Pete Butko. A lot of names people don't really remember some of those names, but Jeff Lamp. But I mean, they were all excellent basketball players, and and so. Uh, they fielded a team of those guys comprised of all those guys. And they sent us over to Germany for two weeks and we competed, competed against the, the junior teams over there uh, in Germany. And so we were beating every team by a hundred points. Uh, and, <laughs> and so we had a great time and that was my first obviously introduction to magic in that regard. And he's just simply amazing. Uh, I had never seen anything like him before, uh, as a basketball player. And and even our coach didn't understand who he was because he literally looked him in his face and said, I don't want you dribbling the basketball. You're the biggest guy on the tallest guy on the team. You should be the center. Stop dribbling. And I remember magic being very upset about it. Like he was near tears and, I virtually, I just basically told him on the bench. I say, look, man, what are you going to do to you? You get back out there, man, just be you. And I'm not going to take total credit for it. I mean, Magic gets all the credit because he's the one that went out there and did it. But he put on a, he put on one of the most spectacular shows that's not on tape in regards to what he did. It was just to prove a point to this coach. It was simply amazing. I mean, wow. behind the back, between legs, the passes. I mean, it was a clinic. It was probably like a 20-0 run. And I remember wow. sitting there next to the coach. And the coach was a high school coach in Germany, but, you know, he's from America, so that's why they made him the coach. And I remember him looking at the guys that was his assistant, and he said, what the heck was I thinking about? <laughs> and I told Magic that, he just laughed. I mean, because he had fought <laughs> that battle for most of his life, right? When you're six foot yeah. eight. You shouldn't be a point guard. You should be a center. And so that was that was unique. Wow. And so was he, I'm guessing he was point guard the rest of the tournament. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. And so out of, out of high school, you chose to, to play for Lou Henson at Illinois. Were there any other schools you were interested in? And what made you pick going to um, the University of Illinois? Well, I went from not really believing that I would even go to college. Okay, because no one in my family had gone, and, and uh, at that point, now my brother, uh, he had he had gotten scholarship, uh, but I started getting my scholarships like in, in, in my junior year, and 
And I was like, okay, I'm going to be one of the first. And when I saw my brother was the first, I wanted to really follow in his footsteps. He went to Texas A&M. Uh, and so I had offers from everybody. I went from hoping I got one offer to I had really my choice of whatever university I wanted to go to. And wow. it was just simply amazing to me uh, to see grown men like tripping over themselves to convince me to go somewhere. I <laughs> I never gotten that attention in my life. Uh, you know, you grew up in a city, you kind of look down on at times. Uh, and I was like, here I am, you know, all these grown men and, and white men, right? Because I didn't have a relationship with whites that much growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a period of my life, I did. We first moved locations in the city. We moved to predominantly all-white neighborhood, and I had a lot of white friends. But for the most part in my life, for 18 years, I didn't have a ton of uh, interactions with whites. And to have these white men fawning over me and wanting me to go to their school and offering me things, and some illegal, okay, uh, <laughs> to go to their school just kind of blew me away. I mean, I was like, wow, you know, and, uh, I, I, you know, I narrowed my choices down to DePaul, uh, Illinois, uh, Michigan, Michigan state was a late add on is the reason why. Uh, and USC, Uh, USC was in the play because I'd never been to California. I went there on a trip. I loved it. Uh, Bob Boyd, I think, was the coach. Uh, I loved everything that he was saying to me. I thought he was the coolest dude I had met, you know, and yeah. and I really thought about it. Uh, but my mom was just <laughs> so afraid to leave my mom, right, because I yeah. was like mama's boy. I didn't want to leave. So <laughs> I didn't, then I decided I'm not going to go to DePaul because uh, it was just too close to home. I wanted some independence. And then, too, I knew that a lot of my high school teammates were going to go to DePaul. Uh, they had the great Ray Meyer there as the coach, and Ray was fantastic uh, with me. Mm-hmm. I loved him to death. Uh, he was like a mentor at a point, gave me a lot of great advice. Uh, and so I didn't go there because I didn't want to be home. Uh, I didn't want to be near people that I knew I'd be leaving school going home. And I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, so I decided not to go there. And uh, Michigan – Believe it or not, I I erased them, and it was silly. Uh, Magic and I got off the bus at the McDonald's uh, game, and, and so they in a rush to appease Magic and open the door for him and all of that, tripping over themselves. They let the door slam back on me, and they didn't oh. mean to do that. They didn't mean to do it. Yeah. I mean, Bill Bill Frieda was an assistant there. I love Bill Frieda. He and I are great friends today. Uh, but, you know, a 17-year-old, you know, I'm like, hold up now. You know, <laughs> I'm already an alternate at the game, so I didn't like that part of it. So I was like, you know what? No, I ain't going there. So, and then I got to know Magic, and Magic, you know, pretty much told me that he was going to go to Michigan State, although Michigan was recruiting him heavily. And he tried to convince me. He, he, had, he had me for two weeks. He saw in <laughs> me what he needed. A guy that can shoot the ball. That would just make life easy for him, and he uh-huh. so he had me almost going there. Uh, <laughs> the only reason I didn't go is because I wanted to just you know blaze my own trail. I knew that yeah. I would be in his shadow, but if I knew what I knew now, I would have gone. 
because oh, okay. we wouldn't want to be in that guy's shadow in that regard. I mean, he would have raised <laughs> the level of my game to obscene uh, levels. I mean, he got Greg Kelsa drafted at the third lottery pick, okay, third pick <laughs> in the draft. So I, I was a huge mistake on my part. But uh, so I decided on Illinois because, one, it was away from home, but it was close enough. Uh, Tony Yates was assistant coach. He spent a lot of time with me. Dick Nagy uh, spent a lot of time with me as an assistant. Mark Coombs, uh, all assistant coaches that really spend time with you, uh, really helped me uh, in that regard to making that decision. And then Lou Henson at the end just came in and sealed the deal. I just love him. Uh, He's like, you know, again, here's a guy, again, that told you, didn't have much interaction with white guys. I didn't have a father in my life. My dad really kind of moved out of my life when I was 13. And so because of that, I latched on to father figures. And lo and behold, uh, I had an Italian coach at, at Westinghouse High School that was a father figure, and Frank Lolino and, and Roy Condotti. And then I had Lou Henson. So uh, all of a sudden, father figures in my life were white men and Italian men trying to get <laughs> me to the best possible level they could. So I you know, man, I had a great, great time. I had a lot of dads. And yeah. uh, so Lou Henson was right there at the top, man. He humbled uh-huh. me and made me a basketball player, and that got me to the NBA. Wow. And th- and that's amazing. And you talk about wanting to blaze your own trail. Um, how sweet was it at that time, wanting to blaze your own trail and hitting the Kim one shot against the undefeated Spartans that season? Well, it was huge. It was like, you know, because Magic used to remind me, I told you, you should have come here with me, you know, all the time. <laughs> and so, you know, we were looking forward to that showdown. I mean, we we were undefeated at the time. I think, you know, if we beat them, we moved to number one in the country. Uh, we were a surprise team. Uh, and that game in particular sold out. I mean, standing room only. Everybody in the state of Illinois watching that game. The governor uh, was at that game. I mean, it was it was amazing. It was an amazing scenario, man. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in Assembly Hall, man, but that place is so far ahead of its years. Uh, Assembly wow. Hall in Champaign, I think that thing was built back in the 70s, and it's still one of the better arenas in, in, in college basketball, even in the country. It looks like a flying saucer. It was wow. unbelievable, and they had that thing packed up in there, man. And that was a nip and tuck game. Uh, the best player to me that I ever played with uh, is Mark Smith. He's not here anymore. He passed away at 40 years old, uh, and he was the best player on our team. Uh, wow. He he was he was the best all around player on our team. He decided that he was going to shut Magic down. And he defended him like a Dickens man and just allowed us <laughs> a chance to have the game close and to give me a chance to make a game winning shot. So, yeah, wow. it, it's probably the biggest shot I've ever hit. And I swear to you, about 100,000 people swear they were at that game. And the place only holds 18. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. Um, wow, that's really good. That's even bigger than the, than the shot against the Jazz in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I had some huge shots against the Jazz in period. I mean, they used to call me the you know Jazz killer. I mean, there's just certain teams you just <laughs> have it going against. And I had a I had a, a pretty much a game winner. You know, when we played them in the playoffs a few times. Uh, so that was that didn't shock me that it happened uh, <laughs> against them uh, uh-huh. because I mean I've I've always had my good fortune playing against that team. 
<laughs> I, I am a, I'm a uh, born and raised in Utah. I moved away from Utah for a little bit, but I have, I'm a lifelong jazz fan. So I have heard your name in, in the in the ranks of um, jazz killers, and so I, I didn't I didn't see those games, but I do I have always known your name as a jazz killer. Oh yeah, well they're great <laughs> great fans up there. You know I think they get penalized for a couple of you know I call them stoops. Yeah, you know, they're that crazy, but uh, they they really support their team and they put all the energy behind them. Definitely, definitely, and so. Um, you you excelled um, as the Fighting Illini, and you ended up spending the draft night with Isaiah Thomas and Mark McGuire um, there in Chicago. And what has your relationship been like going coming from Chicago, being high school teammates with Mark, and and all throughout the NBA? What is that? How has that relationship kind of how no, it's cool all, that it's kind of stayed with you? Yeah, always been great. Uh, it's it's the it's the respect level uh, because all three of us know that we had to really circumvent a lot of stuff to get to where we are. And definitely had all that all that help come from the man above and just giving us the knowledge to make the right decisions and to be able to recognize certain situations that could get you in trouble. And yeah. so we are definitely prime examples of that as a, as a lot of players that are in the league or in sports in general uh, that have come from tough environments. And so, yeah, we maintain that, that friendship uh, and that respect level uh, even today. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, that focus. Is is there a player that from growing up in Chicago that you just know was was so great, maybe even better than um, than you, that you remember that name that didn't, that didn't quite make it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of players. Uh Teddy Grubbs, who played at King, he went to DePaul. Uh, Skip Dillard, who played with me uh, in high school. Uh, Bernard Randolph, uh, who I thought would be better than all of us. Uh, man, there's just so many high school yeah. players uh, yeah. that 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 had success uh, as as basketball players within the city. But did not make it, and 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 a lot of times no fault of their own. It's just that only you know at that time about three hundred could make it, and yeah. it's not that many. And it's just the luck of the draw. It's just what you do. And did you make a misstep along the way? Like Skip Dillard, Bernard Randolph made missteps. You know they got involved with drugs. They made missteps. Uh, yeah. And and so. Teddy Grubbs the same way. I mean, if you look, they look back on their lives now. They can identify that period of time that they made a mistake and it cost them. I never yeah. make mistakes. I, I've never put illegal drugs in my body in my entire life. I'm 60 years old. Uh, never. And when I tell people that, they look at me because of the way how loose society is now and all of that. Yeah. But I've never had a desire to do it. Was it presented to me? Of course. If I've been in a room and people were doing it, of course, but I didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's it's just a mind. And then the ones that did do it don't mean that they should be penalized for the rest of their life either. You, you make totally. a mistake going yeah. up, but I just didn't because I just, I didn't want to mess up my opportunity. I wanted to be a hundred percent. And if I failed, I'll walk away and say, you know what? You failed because of this and that, but not because you put effort. 
and, and consistency in how you, you know, lead your life. And, and that's what I thought about. Yeah, and that's that's fascinating. That's really interesting. Thank you um, for doing that. It kind of speaks to the to the answer to the first question of of coming from Chicago and the focus that it took. Um, I I read also, or I also watched the video, and you were talking about your draft story, um, and kind of not knowing if how the NBA would work out for you, knowing you were later pick, um, but not knowing how it would work out for you, and you also had like plans and and other opportunities with maybe going and studying law and things. How did that, with having kind of a plan, if it didn't work out, how did that change how you were able to approach um, the game once once you were drafted by the Kings? Well, yeah, I just like poker. I like playing poker. So when when you know you have options, right? Like mm-hmm. if I go to the poker room and I play poker, I know if I go all in, I'm not going to go broke. Okay, I'm not going to lose my house. I'm not going. Yeah. I'll leave out of there mad that I lost, but I'm not. <laughs> I, well, I'm not going to go broke. Okay, yeah. so I leave out of there with, with – and so that makes me aggressive. That makes me know that, okay, I'm going to attack that poker hand just like it's the end of the world. I'm going to go – I'm going to be very aggressive, and I'm going to be smart, but I'm going to be very aggressive. And, and and so that's the way I looked at it. I like, you know, the NBA is the place that I, I want to be, but – and I'm going to go all out, and I did. I trained. I did everything I was supposed to do to put myself in position. I went to all-star games. I went to the Pizza Hut Classic they used to have in Las Vegas. I played in the college all-star game. I went to Hawaii, played in the Rainbow Classic. I was in shape. I listened to the coaches. I worked hard. I did everything I was supposed to do. And if I come up short, they can't say that I didn't. And that, yeah. that was just my mindset. And And the reason why I had that feeling is because uh, you just asked the question. I had options, you know, and it's like, okay, if I don't make it, I'm going to law school. I majored in history. Uh, I was close to getting my degree at the time. I needed a few hours. Uh, the University of Illinois told me if I decided I wanted to go to law school, I'm in automatically. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they attached a, a professor with me to just lead me through and, I studied for the LSAT. Uh, I, I just I felt like I had worked at a law firm for two years, my junior and senior year of college. So I was going to be a lawyer. I, I automatically I knew that I was going to be a lawyer. I don't know how long it would have taken, but it took me five times past that bar. I was going to pass that bar because uh, I knew once I got in that in that courtroom, I could talk my way out of anything. Uh, and so. <laughs> That's that was what I wanted to do that, and, and so I was good. I mean, I felt good about it. I, I just didn't, and, and so because of that, I think it relaxed me uh, when I went to training camps and I did things, and, and I had success. Yeah, wow, and and yeah, you did have success, and you went on. Um, you're one of the when when you got hot, you were pretty much unstoppable, um, and you are one of the leading. Um, scores off the bench. What does it mean for you to be the leading all-time leading scorer off the bench and sixth man of the year and a lot of accolades you you received in your NBA career? Yeah, well, well, initially I didn't really like the idea of coming off the bench. I mean, my first year <laughs> I did not start, uh, and then I started the next four or five years, and I mm-hmm. led the team in scoring, uh, like second in rebounding, fourth in a third or fourth in assists. Uh, I rarely miss games playing 35, 37 minutes a game. 
highly thought of. I looked at as one of the best small forwards in the NBA. I had a lot of things going for me. And so, lo and behold, Phil Johnson, who's the coach of the Kings, uh, we were in Sacramento uh, at the directive of our general manager, Joe Axelson, who didn't like me uh, because I didn't get drafted by him. And, you know, and so it's that kind of thing there. He wanted his own player, so he refused to pay me. And and so he pretty much in my free agent year convinced Phil Johnson to bring me off the bench, which I wow. still let the team in scorn. So I, I was ticked <laughs> off about it, but I said, okay, I'll show you even more. And I let the team in scorn still, got a huge offer sheet the next year from Cleveland and told him to let me go. He wouldn't do it. He re-signed me with the offer sheet. Then the following year, they traded me. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, my career was tremendous. And, yeah, people looked at me and said, there's a score. But if they look at the, at the box scores in the first four or five years of my career, mm-hmm. they'll see. Before I went to the yeah. bench, they'll see. They'll see that yeah. <laughs> I was getting five, six, seven, eight rebounds, sometimes ten rebounds on a consistent basis. I was getting four, five, six assists uh, at times uh, during the course of that run. I was shooting over fifty. I was shooting about fifty percent from the field. Uh, I was putting up really good numbers. Uh, yeah. So it, it was an adjustment I had to make, and I just, you know, I used it for, to the best of my ability. Yeah. No, and and yeah, the, the box scores are impressive, and and just being an all around player and and defense and everything all around, um, it was great, and it was cool to see. You were kind of the first. Um, once you did, you did make the best out of that role, and you were kind of the first um, one to kind of be the scoring uh, player off the bench in, in the way that you scored and leading a team in scoring off the bench is is very interesting. And as I was reading about that, I was fascinated in it. Thank you. Yeah, it was not hard. It's not easy. Very difficult. But <laughs> know. it was just something that, you know, I have an innate. I had an innate ability to score the ball, and yeah. uh, so that that made that made it easy. Um, totally. And you ended up you ended up um, going. I'm fascinated by a lot of your story, and you ended up going to Europe um, in the middle of your career, and you and you called it the, uh, one of the highlights of your life. And can you describe some of the decision going there and, and how it turned out being being the highlight for you? Yeah, I mean, I was having a difficult time with basketball. Uh, you know, you start to get older, and people start to view you differently, and you have to make that adjustment. And, and that was that was a tough for me. Uh, and I was in Seattle. We had some success, and they traded me uh, to Charlotte, and I wasn't too ecstatic about it. And I didn't. I really wasn't received well in Charlotte. So uh, by the head coach at that time, Alan Bristow. So who had other thoughts? You know, maybe I was just like you know a short gap. You know, for their team that they eventually would move me sometime during that year. So because I was a free agent the following year, and so it was a difficult year, and and so I just went through it as, as everyone else does, and so I. You know, at the end of that year, you know, a number of teams wanted to sign me. Uh, Houston Rockets tried to sign me, Atlanta, a number of teams. But at that time, collective bargaining was at an impasse. It wasn't going well. Uh, You know, teams weren't paying players, you know, their worth. And so, you know, I was one that saved my money up until that point. Uh, I wasn't desperate to get a contract or anything like that. And a team from Europe called my agent and said, you know, you know, 
Mr. Johnson, you know, interested in maybe coming over here to, to you know, play in Greece. And at that time, Greece was one of the best places to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was like, you know, I'll take a trip over there, <laughs> you, know, <I'm, laughs> you know. And so they sent first class tickets and we went over there and uh, my lawyer and I, and I took a bag that, you know, about a week and a half worth of clothes. That's all I took. And so I get there and I land in, in the airport and about 3,000 fans at the airport. Wow. So, <laughs> I, you know, in Greece, it's like about 10 or 12 teams in the actual city of Athens surrounding area. Okay. Wow. So my team, Olympiakos, is located in Piraeus. Okay. Which is like a suburb of, of Athens. And so, you know, so all these teams are in one city. And so it's like, it's like, it's like fraternity, man. It's like they all wear the same colors. They all, you know, it's like, it's, it's combustion, but not violence. Okay. And so, you know, I went to the practice. I went, you know, and I practiced with the guys, with the team and they had a very good team. Uh, A number of those guys eventually got drafted into the NBA. So I practiced with them and, uh, you know, then I, you know, I told my agent, I'm like, I like it, man, but I'm at the I'm at to carry heavy load over here. And uh, he said, "Well, yeah, that's why they're going to pay you for it." And so <laughs> I go, uh, I go, and we meet the owner. I walk into his office, and before he says one word, okay, before he says one word, I sit down, and he has a box in front of him, and he says, "Look." He says, I understand this is a tough decision that you're trying to make. And I am, and he spoke good English too. And one other thing I noticed is he had about 20 bodyguards around him. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, this guy's very important or he's very dangerous. One of the two. But uh, <laughs> I, I said, and he, he said, look, I want to just show you how grateful I am that you would get on a plane and come over here and give us an opportunity to woo you. And I was going to be there for like three, three, four days before I make this decision. And it was the first day. And he pushed the box across the table at me. And he says, open it up. He says, thank you for showing up. And I opened the box, and it was a presidential Rolex. <laughs> wow. So that's that's 20, 25K right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so first, he fly me over on a first-class ticket. He's going to put me up in a five-star <laughs> hotel. He chauffeured me all around the country, so I'm getting to sightsee everything, right? Wow. And and he gives me a twenty five, twenty, twenty five thousand dollar watch. <laughs> so I'm like, <clears throat> you know, if you want to win somebody over, that's the way to do it, right? So <laughs> after my four days there, I mean I just started to like it. I mean, I you know, teams weren't really up in their offer over there and so my wife didn't think that I would stay. And lo and behold, I decided to stay. Wow. And uh and I didn't touch US US soil for a year. I never came back. They gave me the opportunity to go back. They said you can go back and talk it over with your family and you know, give we'll give you a week, week and a half and I said, No. I said if I go back home I might not come back. <laughs> so I, wow. I said, I'm here to stay. I wanna help you win a championship over here. And let's get it done. They paid me very well. Uh, <laughs> I had a, a four-level house. Uh, wow. 
overlooking the Mediterranean. Oh my goodness. I had two bodyguards, which I never needed. I always would send them home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I felt so safe. Yeah. Uh, I had a maid. I had a nanny. My kids, when they eventually came over, they went to beautiful schools. Uh, it was no traffic light for Eddie. Okay. Wow. If I was driving, and they would always know who I was, I'd get a police escort a lot of times to practice <laughs> to games. Wow. Uh, I rarely pay for a meal. Uh, <laughs> Five-star restaurants, once I figured it out and stopped going to McDonald's and Burger King because I didn't know the <laughs> restaurant, uh, I rarely pay for meals. Uh, I just, I mean, it, it. I was on every magazine cover in Athens. Wow. And I'm talking about they had, I mean, constantly. I mean, I as my wife told me, my wife Joyce says, she said, you got a chance to actually feel like Michael Jordan. And I wow. did. Yeah. And I did. It was just, it was an unbelievable experience. And I have so many Greek friends now. I love, I love them. I, they follow me. Uh, a ton of my followers on Twitter are, are Greek origin. Uh, it just, we, we lost the finals to Sabonis. Uh, Arvidas Sabonis beat us in the, wow. in the, in the, in the, in the uh, European championship, but we did win the Greek championship that year. And wow. the only reason I didn't stay is because my son was in kindergarten and he was having a hard time adjusting to the language. And, and so I decided to come back. But if I had to do it all over again, I would have stayed. I mean, wow. that's, that's how much I like it. Wow. No, that's incredible to hear. That's incredible. That really is the highlight. And it, it's cool um, how great the fans are there and how great the living is and that they've stuck with you um, for, for so long. Oh, yeah. And then and then now I want to talk to you a little bit about um, your transition into to broadcasting. You do a lot of motivational speaking. Uh, you've written books. Um, what was kind of the transition um, after basketball like for you? Uh, again, the first year was tough. I mean, I had taken up golf, and so golf was occupying a lot of my time. Uh, but I was in a transition period where, you know, I just was like, okay, what do you want to do now? Uh, and I, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted – I had options. So I knew I, I had offers to go into coaching. Uh, I had a number of my coaching friends, you know, wanted to bring me on as an assistant. Uh, so I had that option. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, by the way, was the main one. I mean, he called me every day for two weeks to try to get to to Indiana. Uh, Wow. So I had that option. I had the option to to do DB because as a player, my last five or six years, I actually was doing internships to get in radio radio and TV. And so I would go back to New York and I would do internships. Uh, I would work at uh, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a W fan. Is this is the fan in New York? Yeah. I would do internships yeah. there. Um, I would call Mercury games, so I would travel with the Phoenix Mercury, uh, even during my off season. Uh, an NBA player calling their games. <laughs> oh, wow! Uh, so I would put tapes together. Uh, I got a chance to really have a, had a good conversation with Hubie Brown. I was over in Greece. He was over there. Uh, doing the World uh, European Championships, and I had a chance to sit down and talk to him, and I told him he was my favorite broadcaster, and he gave me a lot of advice. Doug Collins was one of my favorite uh, broadcasters. He gave me advice, Bill Walton. Uh, so conversations with those guys. So I was prepared. 
Uh, I, I, just, I knew I just had to make a choice in what I wanted to do. And it was, it was made easy when I looked at my kids every day because I had been away from them for their young life. And they were in middle school. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stay at home. I, I got some time with my kids and yeah. stay at home. And so that's why I chose television instead of, uh, you know, radio TV instead of going as a coach. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's um, inspiring. That's great. Um, and so, yeah, you really put in work. Like you were in your, spending your off seasons uh, interning, um, doing broadcasting, and you really did a lot to prepare. What advice would you have for, for people um, pursuing a career in broadcasting? Uh, one, you gotta if you're gonna decide to do it, you you gotta know that it's not easy. You know, it, you know, sometimes you know, an athletes always think that, oh, I can make transition, I can go right into it. It's not easy. <laughs> First and foremost, you gotta have the gift for gab, okay? So you gotta <laughs> like to talk, okay? Obviously, yeah. you know, I like to talk. So, <laughs> I mean, if you don't have the gift for gab, then you're not gonna put your energy in it, and it's gonna show through in a telecast that you're really not into it. And, mm-hmm. and so that 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 was really what I knew was a good job for me because most players will tell you that I played with and been around that I love to argue. I, I told you I want to go to law school. I love to <laughs> words. And so I, I just, you gotta, you got to love it. I love basketball. That's why I played it for 18 years. And I love now radio and TV. And so, because I love it, a lot of great opportunities have come my way. And that's just the way you have to approach it. And and then now, go do your due diligence. Go learn the arts of this craft and and, and understand that, you know, some nuances that you really got to perfect. And if you have a tough time perfecting them, then you're going to be, you're going to struggle. And so, that's, that's how I view it. And then so now for me, I can call a game in my sleep. I can. I, <laughs> I can I can go three weeks without watching the Suns play, and I guarantee you I can go call the game, and you would not know I have not seen them in three weeks. I, because <laughs> I, I just understand what the fans want to hear, and they're interested, right? Definitely. They're interested yeah. in knowing. They're not interested yeah. in knowing that Devin Booker is like five for ten. They already know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. I mean, so uh, that's the play-by-play guy's job. Uh, my job is to really create a story, a picture, uh, that brings the viewer feel like they're right there. You know, they're not in the arena, but they feel like they're right there because I'm that's painting right. that picture that is going to keep them interested. And so that's what I try to do. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, you are an incredible storyteller. I've enjoyed um I've really enjoyed this call and I appreciate you taking the time of um I, I wanna get I wanna ask one more. I ask this in every interview that I do. Um who is an interesting guest do you recommend having in a future interview? The most interesting guest? No, who is an interesting guest that you would recommend me have in a future interview? Oh. Uh Man, well, I mean, I would automatically say Kobe. Okay, I would automatically um, say Kobe. I, yeah, I think he's he was he's the most he was the most when when I would see him get interviewed, and I don't do this with many people. Okay, I just like I just I'm mesmerized <laughs> at just at how 
he could talk and, and his word play and knowing all the languages he knew and just his passion, you know, just for whatever he was talking about. Uh, it just always got my attention. And so since he's gone and, and you know, that's not the case, uh, I would probably say in today's game, I would probably say LeBron. Awesome. Yeah. Because that would be a dream from, come true. Yeah, he gets it from all all parts of everything. The negative, the positive. You know, he's involved in everything, uh, politically, athletically. I mean, you know, endorsing. I mean, there's nothing that he doesn't do. And that's why he is the repeat of uh, Kobe and he's a repeat of Michael. And then, yeah. you know, Magic. I mean, it's, it's those guys that, you know, in all due respect to Bird, Bird just didn't like doing it, right? He'd be yeah. interested in the interview, without a doubt, because he is opinionated. <laughs> but, you know, I would put him probably at the tail end of that because, you know, he doesn't enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> that, no, that's funny. Um, and I agree with you on Kobe. I used to watch and take notes on, on Kobe and the way that he, he approached everything, the game, interviews, his preparation. But he said something one time about, uh, something that he did of just having 15 minutes of silence um, just to like think each morning. And it's something that I've carried with me and I do, I'm not consistent with it as, as consistent with it as I'd like, but I have, I have ebbs and flows where I do well. And it's like, you can learn, like that was the thing. Kobe said one thing, it was just an offhand comment and it's something that's really like impacted yeah. my life. Well, and so yeah. that's great because what it is, I mean, it's really in a different way of saying it. And you say 15 minutes of silence because he's not silent internally. He's, oh, he's, totally. he's right. He's talking to himself. Right. Yeah. And that's like dreaming. You can daydream or you, I mean, daydreams lead to good dreams. And, and I've done that since I've done that for, I would say, 43 years of my life where before I go to sleep, if I'm not just dead tired and I just happen to just fall asleep. I basically put myself to sleep with thinking about what I want to do and yeah. and and put myself in scenarios of, of success. And so that's dreaming. That's just what it is. Yeah. And, he, and so there he was, he's extremely right in that, you know, you got to dream. Totally. And, and yeah, Eddie, I really appreciate you because this has been one of those things that I think about as I'm about to go to bed, one of those dreams. And it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, you're the first player I've ever had the chance to interview. I've done a lot with musicians and artists that I've interviewed them. And so it's a real pleasure to be able to interview someone from my first love of basketball and that I've heard about all growing up. And so even if you are a jazz killer, <laughs> no problem. Thank you. And yeah, shoot. Yeah, make sure you get me that uh that article. Yeah, I definitely will. I look I look forward to sending it to you. All right, sounds good. Appreciate Thank your you. Time, uh, uh, no problem. Okay, bye now. Bye. Thank you again for listening to our first episode of the podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Eddie Johnson, and please come back next week for an interview with former New York Jet member of the New York Sack Exchange, Marty Lyons.